think we need a moment. Let's just all bow our heads for a moment, please. Father God, your Holy Spirit is so near to us today. We just thank you for being in our midst. We just pray your blessing upon your word now as it's being read. And I pray your blessing upon your people in this room and all around the world, God, as we worship you as one body. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for loving us. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, whom you dearly love. Amen. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, I'll be reading chapter 19, starting with verse 28. So that's Luke 19, starting with verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say to him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And he went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known one on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The word of the Lord to his people. Thank you, Connie. You know, for many years we've started our service the way we did this morning. Uh, We have a little palm parade. We have the children come. We have some adults come. And we wave our palms. And it's it's kind of exciting. It's different. It's out of the norm. And uh, it's cute to see the kids. It's a biblical thing for us to sing praises and to shout praises to God, but when we do these things, we have to ask ourselves, is this more than just tradition? Is this more than a ritual? Is it more than a custom? Is it more than something quaint? I hope that 
the answer to that question is obvious. Yes, it's more. When we participate in this way, when we're celebrating in worship, it's a kind of joining in with the past. We're joining in with the events of Palm Sunday, receiving our king in a fresh way, and hopefully we're receiving him fresh and new and alive in our hearts. Palm Sunday starts what we call Easter week, and it reminds us of the events of Jesus' final week as a man before his crucifixion. Of course, Jesus was more than just a man, wasn't he? He is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, for a time, Jesus limited himself. He voluntarily set aside a whole lot of who he is to be born a human being and to fully identify with us as humans and to be the perfect sacrifice for us. That palm parade that happened down the Mount of Olives on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem was the start of that last week before the cross. So, you know, when Jesus comes down that hill on Palm Sunday, it's a big deal. It's important. You might uh, sometimes, you know, you look at these things and you think, well, what in the world was the fuss about? What was going on here? I mean, we saw not just the waving of palms, but we saw all these things happening. What was that all about anyway? Why weren't they just out there by themselves and just praising the Lord as he came in? Well, Jesus coming into town on the donkey isn't the beginning of a story. It's actually the culmination of a story. It's the climax of a story that has been expected for a long long time. Ever since King David uh, had led the people, the people had been waiting for a conquering king. And it wasn't easy waiting. Though it was mostly their own fault, they went through an awful lot of suffering. They were God's chosen people, but they hadn't always followed God. You know, if you read through the Old Testament, you see that cycle where they're following God and things are going fine, and then they wander away from God and they get distracted and then things don't go so well and then they come back and they follow God for a while and then there's this cycle. It goes over and over and they endured a lot of suffering as a result. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so God disciplined his own people because they kept wandering away, because they stopped worshiping him. And, and, you know, as part of that discipline, a lot of bad things happened. They lost everything that they thought was important, all the external things. They lost their kings, they lost their temple, their city, their land, a lot of their other possessions. And they were taken off into captivity in Babylon, and they only had what they could carry on their backs. And so they took what was most important. They took their scriptures, and of course, in their hearts, they took their memories, they took their worship of God, and they took their customs. Well, when they returned to God, he restored them. But soon they forgot what that was really all about. You know, it became ritualistic. It became going through the motions. It became tradition. And they lost touch of the fact that what God really wanted was their hearts. 
God, it's always been about that. Even in the Old Testament period, it's always been about what's in your heart. And is your heart given to God? And is it focused on God? What God wants the most is not sacrifices at the temple or all the fancy things we do. What he wants the most is to live in your heart and for you to obey his word. Do you know the long history of Jerusalem? Jerusalem has had one of the most violent histories of any other city. Um, It has been destroyed twice, besieged 23 times, it has been attacked 52 times, and captured and recaptured 44 times. That's a lot of violence in the in the life of a city. When King David captured Jerusalem, he made uh, Jerusalem the the center of his kingdom. But eventually they were conquered again and again and again. They were conquered by the Assyrians and by the Greeks and by the Romans and by a whole lot of other people. Dallas Willard says that, that in that cycle, in that struggle, that almost perpetual struggle that they had, Uh, of their losses and their gains, they learned that the way forward is to accept the judgment and side with God and kiss the rod of affliction. And the blessing in all of it was that that as they went through these struggles, the, the belief in Yahweh became more important and their culture became more a part of their regular identity. And the scriptures were preserved and they were expanded and they survived. The prophets promised there would be a king. The prophets promised that there would be someone who would redeem them from all of this stuff that they'd gone through. They would receive a Messiah, God's anointed one, And you know, about 500 years before Jesus was born, Zechariah wrote in Zechariah chapter 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coal, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, And the battle bow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, and from the river, meaning the Jordan River, to the ends of the earth. Well, we usually only read the first part about riding the donkey. We usually skip over the second part. But but this whole book, if you want to read something as a devotional piece and and just pray through it or read through it, you'll see that it's, it's talking about the day of the Lord. It's talking about this coming of Christ and all the things that could happen there. They hoped for and they expected the Messiah to come. And they expected that he was going to be a hero like David because of verses like this where it it seems to talk about some kind of a war, some kind of a battle, some kind of an overthrow of the people who were in power. That It seemed to them that God would break the rule of others and he would rule in peace over all the earth with Jerusalem at the center Now, that's an important part, (laughs) because culturally, 
they began to think of themselves as the center of everything and the center of the world. Well, we are God's chosen people after all. But there began to drift the mission that God set them on that allowed them to extend that to all the earth. They became very, very centric in the Jerusalem area and in Judaism. So when Jesus, you know, he'd been doing, they, they've been expecting, they've been listening to, to scriptures like this, they've been reading scriptures like this that promise the coming Messiah, and they see him in their heads as a conquering king. And so Jesus comes along, and he's speaking with authority that seems to be beyond himself, that seems to be from heaven. And he's doing miracles, and he's preaching, and he's challenging the status quo, and he's talking to those teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And on this day, he sits himself on a donkey and he begins to ride down towards the Mount of Olives. And he goes through Bethphage and he goes through Bethany and, and there's only one way out of that road. It comes out at the Mount of Olives. And people who've been sort of expecting this all along, hoping for this all along, they, they began to get really, really excited. Zechariah had prophesied about the day of the Lord and about how it's coming in chapter 14 of his prophecy. And he said, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. You know, they, this is something that is expected to happen to disturb this cycle of being captured and oppressed. This is the beginning of God's rule. And here, when Jesus was headed for the Mount of Olives, they remembered that prophecy that said, that, that out of the mount, when it splits, will flow a river, and it will go east and west. Normally in the spring, there was a runoff, and that water went all the way down to the Mediterranean Sea. But in this case, it promises that not only will the water run to the Mediterranean, but it will run there in winter and in summer, all the time. And it will also run to the Dead Sea and bring it back to life. That's all part of that same promise. And, and here's the best part of that promise. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name, the only name. So that's what all the fuss is about. They've been waiting for this king. They've been waiting for this battle lord in their head to come and, and either push out or wipe out the Romans, and to set them free. And so they throw their coats on the ground, and they throw palm branches on the ground, and, and they throw little bundles of, of incense on the ground so that when the donkey steps on it, there would be these beautiful smells in the air. And, and they wave their palm branches. All of those things are part of a victory parade for a king. And they recognize that Jesus is king. And they want him to be the conquering king. Imagine what kind of excitement that would be. If you knew something was coming, you ever, you ever had to wait on something? I mean, really wait on something important. 
You ever go to the emergency room for something? <laughs> you know, you're hurting. You're waiting to be treated. It's painful, and you might be there for hours. You might be there all night waiting to get treated. Waiting is painful sometimes. Now think about that stretch over a 500-year period. Generation after generation, waiting on the same king, following the same promises, believing in the same promises, and waiting on their king. And finally, Jesus starts coming down that hill. With all that he's done and all that they've heard, they're going, okay, that's it. Jesus is coming. This is it. He's the king. Let's get ready. And so they have this sort of a parade party going on. So what does this all mean? What's it mean? Well, it doesn't mean what they think it means. They think it means something different, right? They think it means this military overthrow. They were right that Jesus was coming as king and that he is fulfillment of this prophecy. But, but a lot of the rest they got wrong. Not ultimately, because all of this is going to be fulfilled at some point, but they expected it all to be happening in the here and now. This is what was going to happen next, as far as they were concerned. You know, we're going to be continuing in Revelation, in our sermon series on Revelation in a, in a couple of weeks here, and, and we'll find that this very prophecy will find its final fulfillment as we get to the end of the book that some of these very words are going to come up again. Listen for them when they come by. And we're going to see that ultimately this will be fulfilled, but not in their day, not in this day, not until Jesus comes again and after the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. Well, the kingdom that Jesus is preaching is not the kingdom that they had in mind. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about something more than something temporary. He's not talking about a, you know, a kingship that lasts a generation, or maybe a few if it's passed on. He's talking about God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, God is sovereign, and Jesus rules forever. It's not temporary. His kingdom is eternal. You know, Jesus' kingdom began or was being ushered in when Jesus came the first time. And it's made manifest through the cross. But it won't be entirely fulfilled until he comes the second time. You know, when we think about kingdoms, we think about space or territory or land. You know, this is, this is the kingdom. I can't help it. I always think of Mr. Rogers, that little kingdom. But we think of space, not the final frontier, but land, geographic land, and lots of control over that land. And, and we think and we know that when Jesus reigns, he'll reign over the earth, but, but more than just the physical world, he'll reign over the spiritual world as well, and that includes heaven. Old Testament scholar Graham Goldsworthy um, says the kingdom of God is this. He says that ki God's kingdom is God's people, it's God's place under God's rule. Part of that is being fulfilled now. 
But it won't be ultimately fulfilled until Jesus comes again, until we enter into that last era. Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? And how did he teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the very thing that the people wanted, a war to drive out or even slaughter the Romans, was the thing that Jesus rejected. He wasn't trying to win a physical battle. He was trying to win and not trying. There is no try. Only do, right? And Jesus came to win that spiritual battle, that spiritual war. And he would conquer, not, not on a battlefield, he would conquer on the cross, defeating sin and defeating death. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of this final journey to the cross. It's almost here. The king has arrived. The ultimate battle is very near at that point. Now, we sometimes look in the book of Revelation at the Battle of Armageddon and, and we see tanks and planes and things. We, we paint it in all kinds of ways in our mind, whether it's there or not. <laughs> but we see that as the ultimate battle, but really it's not. The ultimate battle is fought on Good Friday. And sin and death are defeated. That stuff in Revelation, that's the finishing up. That's the mopping up part. That's what happens after the war comes to the end. His sacrifice for sins, his defeat of sin and death, his death becomes the victory. And it's the victory on which all other victories which are yet to come, we'll see a bunch of them in Revelation, all those are built on this one victory on Good Friday. So let's make this personal. What does Palm Sunday have to do with us personally? You know, Jesus didn't do this just for anybody. He didn't do this for unknown people. He did this for someone very important. Did it for you. Did it for you. Did it for someone he loves very much, and that's you. When Jesus was riding down that hill, down the Mount of Olives, the people were shouting the word, Hosanna! Well, it's an interesting word, because it literally means save now, or save us now. It's a plea, it's, it's almost begging to be saved. They're begging for salvation from their current situation, from the oppression of Rome. But you know, over time, that word Hosanna, it changed. And it changed from being a plea for help into an acknowledgement that God helped us. And so when they're talking, when they're shouting Hosanna, you know, as we, as we do down through the generations, we shout Hosanna, we really mean we're acknowledging that, yes, Jesus saves that he is the Savior. And I like the now part, because the now part relates to where we are right here and right now. You know, 
It's easy to think of the cross, of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus as an event in the past, but it has parts of it that continue to go on today. They're happening in your life, in your heart. And if you have a real relationship with Jesus, it hasn't just stopped. It's going on. It's continuing. We celebrate Palm Sunday because it points the way to our salvation. And when we pray to receive Jesus, Jesus will come in. And if you ask him to rule in your heart, he will be king. King Jesus. The king that we've been expecting. You know, in a couple of minutes, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper together. When we take the bread and the wine, we're saying that we believe what Jesus accomplished on that Holy Week. The bread, the sacrifice of Jesus' body. The wine, the blood, the sacrifice of his blood for ours. His blood and his body in our place for the forgiveness of sins. You know, it occurred to me as I was setting up for communion the other day that the Lord's Supper is the gathering place of the people of God. You know, everything else that we do, we can think of other ways to do it. Our worship styles and numbers of other things. But, but you know, the Lord's Supper, this is something that Jesus asks us to do until his return. It's almost eternal. It takes us to his return. And it's open to all believers, if you believe in Jesus Christ. As we prepare ourselves to receive communion this morning, I want to ask you to do two things. And I'm going to put them both up here right now. The first thing is prepare your heart. And the second thing is open your heart. How do you prepare your heart? This word repent is a good place to start. Repentance means to turn, turning away from sin and turning towards God. Confess your sins to God. You don't have to do that in a public setting. You don't have to do it in a way that anybody else hears, although we are encouraged to confess our sins one to another so we can pray for each other. But you don't have to share that with anybody. Prepare your heart. Repent. Turn from sin. Confess them to God, and God will forgive you. Now, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and your King and Savior, all you have to do is ask. You know, you can just talk to Him, right? Doesn't have to be fancy. You can just say in your heart, Lord Jesus, I'm turned from my sins, and I turn to you. Forgive me, Lord. I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. Just invite him in. Be my king. Be my Lord. Come into my heart. Help me run my life because I'm not doing a great job of running it by myself. You know, maybe you've done that a long time ago. But there are areas where lately you find that that you're keeping Jesus out of. There are areas that you'd rather he not look too closely. 
You know, and that could be for a wide variety of reasons. Maybe we've begun to replace him with other things and other people. Maybe we've, you know, begun to embrace pride and raise ourselves above Jesus. Whatever it is, it's the same thing. All we have to do is talk to him and confess those sins. Like Israel, we can easily get to that point where we put our, our hope in all the trappings, in the, in the worship structure or in the buildings or in the things that we can do with the money that God's given us. You know, we, we get so wrapped up in things, in externals. But Jesus wants your heart. And so this is a good day for surrender, to surrender those things that hinder your relationship to Jesus to prepare your heart. The second thing here is to open your heart. You know, words are just words. But if we open our hearts to Christ, if we open our lives, the door of our lives to the Holy Spirit, he can and he will fill you. Invite him to do that. Invite him to come in and fill you to overflowing. Let him empower you so that you can live a life for Jesus. Let him fill your life and let him fill your work and let him fill your activities. Open your heart and receive what Jesus has to give. We're going to pray and uh, we're going to have a moment of silence so you can maybe do a little business with God and spend some time focusing on God. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, Forgive our sins. Be king in our lives. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Minister to our souls. Lord, we speak to you in these moments of silence. Thank you, Jesus, for cleansing me and for filling me. May you always be honored in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we finish our time at the table here this morning, um, you are invited to come when we have our closing song. If you'd like to come and pray at the altar or if you'd like to have some of us come and pray with you, we would be very happy to do that, to pray for your spiritual life, to pray for you physically. Um, we can anoint you with oil and we can pray for healing if you like. Um, just keep that in mind as we come to our final song today.